Hi everyone, good to see you again. Welcome to this week's episode of Long Story Short, where we are going to talk about the do's and don'ts of global development storytelling. I'm Kate Wathen, here with the fabulous development comms maven, Corinne Umuhumuza. Welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk about this with you. So we've got a lot to cover today, but as is our way, we're going to start with a couple icebreakers, rapid fire. All right. All right, Corinne, these are to get to know you a little bit better. Okay. You have a ton of experience doing development communications. What is your favorite topic to communicate about? I think my favorite topic, being from Rwanda, is definitely about Africa and the continent as a whole. So obviously I moved here when I was a young child, but the diaspora is something I'm really excited about. And youth, um, Africa is going to be, like we're going to have, so we have the youngest population in the world. We're going to have the youngest population in the world, so I'm really excited about those, op those issues and those topics. Fabulous. And then... This is taking a slightly different turn. If you had to kill one of your social media channels, oh, what would it be? Um, so lately it's been a mix. Like Snapchat has been a mix. I don't know if you guys have all seen those upgrades. I literally don't open it anymore. Um, but I think this week the biggest contender is Facebook. Um, pretty much for everyone, I think. But do I also lose Instagram and WhatsApp? If that's the case. Oh, I don't you know. can't have that. I can't have that. So maybe Snapchat, I think. Snapchat okay. is what I would kill. All right, all right. It's good to know. And then finally, this is a sort of a superlative. Okay. Who do you think, whose March Madness bracket do you think is still in the game? Oh, God. Dr. Tedros of the WHO? Or Ngozi, we only call her by her first name because she's the prince of global development. Yes, yes. Um, I think probably Ngozi. Yeah? I think she's a little bit. Dr. Tedros, I don't know how much he knows about U.S. US college collegiate sports. So I think probably Ngozi. I think like she's hip and her kids are hip. That they would make her a little bit hip to that. I think her. I think she's also got that like strategic economist exactly. look. Like I can just forecast who's exactly. Win she can this make market. she can make a good call based on like statistics, and she's like, all right, she can make a good call on that. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> now that we all feel like we know you better. All right, <laughs> I hope you do. We're going to get into the do's and don'ts, and you know we kind of had a chat before going live. There's so there's so, there's so much great development communication that happens. A lot of fabulous campaigns and stories, yeah. but there's also so much that's not great that happens. So we're going to start with the don'ts and then kind of dissect them and see how to make things better. So the first big don't that we talked about is the issue of the white savior in international development and othering. So can you talk a little bit about that and then like what, what is problematic? How to identify it? Considerations for not incorporating that into your communication. Yeah, absolutely. I think the one thing before we dive into that, um, that don't is communicators have a big job, right? Kind of like, let's zoom out. Communicators have a big job. You have to stay relevant. You have to test out these new tools as they come out. Um, you're mandated by your senior leadership to go viral, my personal favorite. Um, you have to stop the scroll. So I think as communicators, we have a big job to begin with. So I think this is almost kind of like a breeding ground for disasters to happen, right? You're trying to stay, like um, work in a fast-paced environment. You're trying to kind of keep abreast of what's happening. And oftentimes, development communicators, we have to kind of keep pace with mainstream brands and companies. But we have bigger issues to tell. We have, we have more complex issues to tell. So this is kind of where we fall into this rut of like, okay, we immediately kind of want to use the same tools and tactics that they use, but then the white savior complex comes in because we're trying to pull these celebrity ambassadors to tell these stories. And the thing that the white savior narrative does is it really 
it centers on a one person providing a solution. And oftentimes, I, know, I don't know if you guys remember this, one particular blunder in 2017, a certain redheaded celebrity um, was in a video with Liberian street kids and the, the issue was really trying to shine the light on Liberian street kids, but then it really ended up becoming about him, about him like solving the issues and him having, being able to have money. And it's often at the expense of black and brown people where you're seeing these people come in and swoop, swoop in and save the day. Yeah. So I think one of the things that, how we can identify it is obviously images. I think there's the classic, okay, portrayal of um, the juxtaposition of, of different images, so showing like very stark poor individuals and then showing a very stark like someone coming in to save it, a rich individual coming in to save it. Um, and then I think also something else that we see is you see like um, it strips people stories of dignity. It strips people of dignity, it strips, it strips people of being able to create solutions for themselves. So I think those are the kind of things that we're seeing with this white savior narrative. Yeah, and I think really being able to identify it in the first place is is a big piece of this because as you mentioned, I mean, communicators, especially if you work for an NGO that doesn't have a giant comms team, you know, you might have one person who is managing six different social media channels, fielding media requests, you know, responsible for everything that goes up on the website, maybe doing some HTML on the back end of the website. And you know, if you're not really thinking critically about what you're putting out, it's, you know, I think often the white savior narrative doesn't happen because someone says, I want a white person saving a bunch of African children. It just sort of happens because no one has their eye on the ball. Exactly, exactly. You get used to using the same language, you get used to using the same terminology, and then you don't realize it's like a cycle that you're creating. Yeah. So, yeah. so number one, being cognizant of that and not doing it. I mean, we all know there's some ongoing conversation about how development has some issues with colonialism as an industry. Mm -hmm. And one way to kind of start to combat that is by taking it out of your comms. Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah, taking it out of your comms. And then I think it's also taking it out of the comms from every level, right? So it's not just about the messages that you're putting up on your social media feeds. It's not about the, the language that you're using in your annual letters. It's also about how do you talk about your organization? Like who's at your organization writing these messages? Do you have people of color? Do you have Africans if you're an African organization, an, Af an organization that's catered to Africa? Do you have Asian people who are writing these messages? Do you kind of have someone to check these and to be a buffer? Because um, oftentimes, I can't speak to I can't speak to what an Asian woman would kind of be a trigger or something that would be um, that would be problematic. So you need to have the, the people in the room who actually know what they're talking about, who can provide the nuances and the context for the language and the images you're putting out there. Yeah, I and mean, rep representation is yeah. huge. And you know, in this conversation, we've been talking about storytelling in terms of like oh, external communications and how we talk about the work we do. But there's also the storytelling that happens about your own brand through like panels that yes. you might host. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, and I think we've been, we've even at DevX here, we've been thinking about, okay, when we have a panel about, um, about development issues, are we sitting on panels with there's women represented? Are we sitting on panels where people don't look, everyone doesn't look the same? So I think that's also part of your comms because the optics matter. Um, I think optics matter, and especially more and more as people are coming to your events and people are, are, the events are not just where you sit. They're not just at age headquarters. They're not just at in your offices. Like people can take a picture and that show that tells the story and the and the story of your brand and your organization through a single photo. And that could be like a mantle that kind of dismantles 
everything that you're trying to do and everything you're trying to stand for. Right, I mean, you know, there are, there are well-meaning mantles, you know, again, it's like not usually, well-meaning mantles, they're not usually trying to do that, but I think uh, it's just important if you see a photo of a panel that you put together and it's just a bunch of white men or just white, white men and white women to think about, okay, is that reflective of my, of the leadership in my organization? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. The other big topic that we talked about is kind of an obvious on par with this yeah. is romanticizing poverty, or we can just call it poverty porn because yes. that's what we're talking yeah. about. Yeah, and poverty porn is, it's crazy that poverty porn is still a term that we use in 2018, because I think this was something that was kind of coined in the 80s during like the, um, the AIDS, AIDS awareness and then famine. Um, so th the fact that we're still using poverty porn as a thing to describe things that charity organizations and NGOs are doing is kind of crazy to me. Um, and I think it's this idea that poor people are kind of like deeply moralistic or they, they're content in their situations but they just need a, one little thing and, and their whole situation can be changed or that they need assistance from wealthy individuals to, um, to create solutions for their problems. Um, I have a friend, Teddy Rouge, he, he coins it really well. He says, poverty porn is when you find the most extreme situations and make them look like the most common situation. And I think that's where I think um, development storytellers really have an avenue to kind of change that. Um, and these stories often also, I think the th problem with also romanticizing poverty and is that you create single stories. So you create, an inc you use kind of like incomplete stories to become the only story that we know about certain individuals, about certain populations. And I think this is very much the case that happened with Ethiopia and famine. Like those are the images that stuck in people's heads about Ethiopia and what they know about Ethiopia. And I think that's really dangerous to kind of create a story about a place or a people in those ways. Yeah, and I mean, just thinking critically, like as a communicator, yeah, I know you're, you're, we're all trying to do great work and we are all doing great work, but it's, you know, it's kind of a, a trap to fall into feeding into that narrative. I mean, I might venture to say that this is how we ended up with humanitarians of Tinder. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you, you know, Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I mean, because it all kind of ties together of, you know, oh, you know, there's this poor person in another country that, you know, I in wealthy country can go help and then everyone will see how wonderful a person I am. And it's like that might like it's like well intentioned. Yeah, it's well intentioned, but it yeah. Compassion fail. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way to put it. Compassion Absolutely. Fail. So if you had just a couple like concrete tips for how communicators can really deliver on what we all want to do and the mission that we have without kind of falling down this path, what would they be? Um, okay, so I have three like good story do's and I think good stories they do allow individuals to tell their own stories. So oftentimes like they, they're based on characters, right? So it's oftentimes maybe what you do instead of telling the story from your lens, you give them the lens and tell them and show, have them tell their own stories. I think Save the Children did this awesome campaign a few years ago where they gave refugee children in Zatari a camera and they're like you go throughout the refugee camp and you tell your own story of what life is like here and I think that's such a powerful avenue to see it from someone else's lens rather than okay what are you seeing from up here and clicking from above um, so that's one thing they do allow individuals to tell their own stories two 
they allow these genuine commonalities to rise to the top. So, so as you're watching a story and as you're um, reading a story, the, what comes kind of sits with you at the end is this com common human experience, not pity or um, just feeling bad for someone or just being like, oh, that kind of makes me feel, that makes me feel bad. It's you walk away with, okay, this person has an experience and it's not a good experience, but you can kind of see the human side of it rather than kind of feeling like emoting whatever this video is trying to make you feel. Um, and then another thing is that they use language that the general public can understand. I think oftentimes in development there's so much jargon and there's so many acronyms that we use um, and ways we talk about things that the general public simply doesn't understand. So how do we kind of break that down and simplify things for them? Yeah, I mean the language really does is key to just bringing other people in in order to get on board because right? you can talk about innovative financing, you know, migration compacts, all of these things, but you know, you talked about the Save the Children um, campaign where they gave the kids the cameras. I've noticed a lot of, um, of communications from Save where they're really trying to hone in on making people feel like, you know, serious children are their children. Mm -hmm. And they've done that in a really powerful way. I think this does make me think too that you know, because a lot of our audience who would be interested in something like this are communicators or people who are in head of, of organizations that will have a communications team. Mm -hmm. The importance of having communicators who are kind of existing with everything that is happening in the places that they're communicating about. I think for a lot of organizations, you know, you, you hire star communicators and then they stay in the office in New York or DC or somewhere else and that disconnect can be palpable. Yeah, absolutely. It, it ends up becoming, um, yeah, you're othering, you, you, it's easy to kind of other people as you talk about them because it be, they become case studies or they become just like, yeah, they become like names on a file as you type in and save it. So yeah, I think it's also, I think that's also a really good point. Maybe getting your communications teams to actually go the, to the places where they're telling the stories about. So if, if, how do I, how can I write a story about Kigali or how can I write a story about Lagos if I've never actually even been there or I don't know what it is to be, to be there. So I think um, obvi obviously this is a cost thing as well, but I think it is really important to get your com communications people out of headquarters and like actually sitting there. And then if you can't do that, hire people who actually can do that. So hiring local photographers who understand the nuances and who can talk to people about, okay, you're going to be part of this campaign. I'm going to use your photo photograph or something. Tell me your story in the way that I can communicate it versus you trying to just get these things and then form your own package and story package around it. Yeah, I mean, what you're talking about sounds a lot just like localization. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's the same thing as if you craft a program design in DC and then send it over for implementation or fly people into, you know, a market or a country to implement it and it doesn't go well because you didn't understand the country context, it sounds like it's the same thing for communicators. Yep, exactly. Exactly. So that is also a good segue into the third big don't that we will then flip into a do. <laughs> uh, and that is oversimplifying yeah. these really complex issues. Yeah, I think um, as comms people, I think we try to follow this like linear storytelling trajectory. There's a person, there's a problem, and there's a solution, right? And we want to package it up in beginning, middle, and end. Um, but I think, as you said, these issues are complex and there's not a straight line to a solution. 
and pointing to that and, and telling those stories in that way is misleading. And it's also false. I think obviously if, if it was that easy, I think a lot of these organizations would be out of business. You'd already kind of figured out what the solution was and we put them together, A plus C, B equals C. And give me a billion dollars and there's no cholera anymore. Exactly, and it's not that, it's not that easy. So I think as communicators, we can, um, we can leave these stories open. We have, we have some of the smartest people. We have access to so much information. Um, so you can leave these stories open, right? So leave them open for people to actually check out your website and see what more they can learn about um, and see if they even can be part of whatever that solution looks like. Um, so I think you can, don't be afraid to like leave stories open, kind of open to interpretation, like here's the facts and here's a real life example of what's happening and of this challenge. And, but leave it open. Don't kind of have to try it up in a bow. So what would that look like in practice? Like if you were to take that and kind of mold it into like a campaign or a story, what, what would that look like? Um, I, think, I think it really depends on what the context is. I think for, I think one example was um, UN Women had a really awesome campaign. It was called uh, Autocomplete. So they basically used Google searches. Um, basically people Googling women should or women shouldn't. And so it sparked this awesome, it was basically just like having the template of the Google search and people were typing in things and they used that to kind of show like, this is what people still think women shouldn't be able to do. Like, haven't we come far enough that women should have no bounds to what they're doing? Um, and so I think it sparked debate and they didn't kind of, they gave you this scenario, and it, but it sparked debate and it got people to also think about, okay, what, do, what are some kind of stereotypes or things or barriers that I'm putting a, on what women should, should or shouldn't be able to do? So I think those are the type of campaigns that we can, we can use as an example to kind of spark our own ideas. And I think there's probably an example of that that exists for nearly every sector and every issue. So how do we kind of be creative and innovative about the ways in which we give information to people? Yeah, pointing out the issue but not solving it for them exactly. is like an effective means of communication. Exactly. So we've talked a lot about the big don'ts, but you know, there are just there are so many ways to get things wrong, of course, but there are a lot of ways to there are a lot there's a lot of things that are happening right now that are right. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of ways to have really fabulous development communications. You know, what what are they? You talked about autocomplete. Are there other campaigns that really stuck out to you um, as just being kind of a cut above? Um, I think one other favorite that I had around the global goals was the remake of the wannabe video. Yes. So <laughs> I am a big Spice Girls fan. Like that was I had the VHS tape. But like every I had a Spice Girls birthday party. Um, I'm so jealous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The game was pin. What was it? I think it was like pin something on Posh Spice. I don't know what we pinned on what? Posh Spice. Yeah. <laughs> I have no idea what we pinned on Sp Posh Spice. But I think that was an that was an awesome video because. First of all, I don't, we were talking about this earlier. We're like, who is this video actually for? Was it for us, these people who were alive when this was kind of happening? Or was it for this younger crowd? Because in the video, they used like some British pop stars, some Canadian pop stars, a Nigerian pop star. So it was also so diverse in the people that they used to, to cast it. And so, and it had these incredible images kind of moving from a street market where women are selling their goods, a, a classroom in Africa, a classroom in a Muslim country. And so being able to kind of show like, this is what girls really want. They want to be empowered. They want to be able to make decisions in the marketplace and education. Um, 
And I think that was such a powerful way to do it, using pop, uh, use pop culture, uh, use a reference to pop culture and something that people could all connect to in music, but it still kind of was able to tell this awesome story about the global goals in a way that you weren't kind of smacked in the face about these goals. Yeah, as well. I love that one. Yeah. For those of you who are just tuning in, I am Kate Wathen here with Corinne Umuhumuza talking about the do's and don'ts of global development storytelling. And I mean, on the wannabe video, it was pretty funny because last night we were Skyping and you're like, oh, it's like good for the young generation. And I was like, does the younger generation know who the Spice Girls they are? They do. They probably still do. They probably know Victoria Beckham at least. They are. Or the real. I think they should know. Or everyone. her kids. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I think <laughs> just kids. I mean, getting, you know, teasing that out. I think the medium of video too is just it's so important. We talk about it all the time, but every now and again, I'll see a video as part of a campaign. I mean, the Skull Foundation put out a video that was sort of similar in that it was about women and women in different parts of the world, and it, but it was set to the poem I Rise, and it was just one of those that hits you in your heart. Yeah, I think there's, there's these classic things that we can always go back to, and we don't have to necessarily reinvent the wheel, because we know what pulls at people's heartstrings, and and yeah, we can do that. If you have questions, please leave them in the comments. I know we have a few already. We have one from Evelyn Cruz. Is there a particular platform that can be more beneficial in spreading the word about human crisis situations? It's a great question. Oh, that is a great question. I think, I think, I don't know if there's a particular platform. I know we talked about video. Um, I think here at DevX, we rely heavily on like Facebook and I think we've, we're seeing kind of this move to Instagram. So I think images are pretty powerful. If you look at the work of like Humans of New York or some of these really powerful Instagram accounts that people follow, I think we want, we want to have a human connection. Um, we want to read personal stories and from um, first person perspective. So I think Instagram is probably going to be a rising star, and obviously Facebook, depending on what happens this week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, TBD. TBD. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and I would just add, I think you're totally right, that Instagram is kind of the next, the next generation's a purely visual platform. But also, I mean, it doesn't hurt to have a multi-pronged approach where you have different social platforms, so long as you're creating content that is specific. Exactly. to those platforms because exactly. it's easy to make something that is great for Instagram but just does not go anywhere on Twitter. Yeah, and I think also knowing um, how people interact with the different platforms. So how much time does someone have to really be able to kind of engage with the content that you're giving? Um, so thinking about that too. So not being not trying to pack too much information. So making sure that they go beyond that post and figuring out, that, okay, where, where else can I learn more about this? So I think that's really important too. Yeah, I am. Like, what, what do you want people to do? Exactly. What's the call to action? Like, yeah, yeah. exactly. Because I mean, even just Instagram can be a tricky one for a lot of organizations. Because like, if you want to raise awareness, it's great. If you're looking for people to like donate now or something, yeah. it's maybe it's less, doesn't fit yeah. the bill. Yeah, All right, so something else that we have talked about are our favorite uh, communicators and just fa the, our favorite, excuse me, our favorite ways that people use Twitter for storytelling. Okay, who are your favorite Twitter storytellers? My favorite Twitter storytellers, oh gosh, there's so many. Um, one person that I love, also a Newhouse alum, so um, Malika, she, Malika Garib, she is at NPR Goats and Soda. She just has an incredible way of being able to kind of distill these complex things that she's thinking about and crowd she's also awesome at crowdsourcing um i think so follow her definitely she has some amazing threads um also i'd be remiss if i didn't shout out 
a storyteller who's also a personal friend of mine, um, Upfront Africa. He works at Voice of America and he's been doing a lot of great storytelling on the African continent and also just bringing up the power of youth on the African continent as well. Yeah, that's a great one. I would also shout out uh, at International Do-Gooder. Yes, Jennifer. Yes, Jennifer. Yeah, mm -hmm. she's fantastic. She just, she knows how to use those threads. She does, she, def she definitely does. And actually she is actually someone I really looked to when I was kind of thinking about these issues because um, she taught a course and when she was teaching it she found there's really no like primer or like rule book that you get when you come into communications development um, so she kind of created this this kind of primer with I think it was in 2014 with her students and yeah it's true like a lot of us who work in this industry like there's nothing that we can actually follow there's not a ton of books on how to do this well and to do this right so you rely on people, your peers, you rely on people at other organizations to kind of be kind of your gut check and your buffer. Um, so I think it's really important, yeah, to be talking about these issues and also to bring them out into the public. Be like, hey, we have this thing. How do we actually do this well and do this right? And I think that's totally okay. Um, if our goal is to um, promote progress and to promote the global goals, like we can do that together and we can work together to kind of find the best ways to do that. Yeah, definitely. I think someone else that I would also put out there, so Winnie Bionima, uh, head of Oxfam. I know Oxfam has got some stuff going on right now, but she's just one of my like ultra role models. And just like hearing her speak in person is always just so moving because she is just such like, she's so groundbreaking. But then sometimes that comes out on her Twitter too. Yes, absolutely. She is. She's awesome. And she's a Power of Purpose nominee. Yes, yes, yes. And many fabulous women. Okay, we have one more question from Veronica. Ooh, great question. What are some of the best diaspora-led or focused communications that you've seen? Oh my gosh. Uh, there's so many. I think, I mean, black Twitter in general, and then also African Twitter out of that. Um, I think, okay, let me try to think. There was, the, there's a couple of viral hashtags. So there was one called, if Africa was a bar, I think that was a pretty hilarious kind of. I don't know about that. Do this. you remember that? It was like having a couple summers ago. Um, so basically people kind of riffing on each other's, um, the, the common stereotypes of each other's countries. But I think it really became a conversation about, okay, how do you view your country and how do other people view your country? So I think that was a really kind of genuine conversation that happened. Um, and then there was another hashtag, I, it's slipping my mind right now, but um, the Africa I see or the Af like my Africa, my Africa is. Um, so the Africa that I want to see, so it was just showing, okay, everybody has these like kind of misconceptions of Africa and like you see slums and whatever, but there's so many other beautiful parts of the continent that people don't see because A, they've never been or B, they've never bothered to Google beyond some of these other, these places that always show up in the news. Um, I can't remember the hashtag, but we'll put it in the comments below. But that was also another awesome um, hashtag that kind of was born out of African Twitter and some of the conversations that we're always having. So we are close to running out of time. So if you have, like, what is your best advice for development communicators, whether those are communicators that are just kind of getting their feet wet in the space or folks who have been here a long time? Um, I think my best advice is be open, right? And like be open to learn and, to, and really learn from other people. Um, I think my, I think at DevX, we're, we're always like brainstorming and kind of um, crowdsourcing information. So I think like be open to what other people have to say to you. And like if you get it wrong, like take a step back and, and just kind of use that as a learning moment. Obviously, like in communications, it's all trial and error for the most part. So um, you're going to have blunders and you're going to have mess ups. But I think 
being open to um, having other people kind of give input and provide input. Um, ask the right people um, to kind of give, give you insights on things that you may not know. So. And where can people get your ongoing advice? Yes, so my ongoing advice, you can always get it on Twitter. Um, that could be a very many range of things. It's not always <laughs> development related. Uh, <laughs> Maybe award shows too, every yeah, now and again. Award shows, The Bachelor, who knows? You never know. What, <laughs> you never know on a, on a given night. Um, but I actually am starting a new blog. It's called On Message. Um, the first article was published today. And so this will be the new kind of place to be talking about these issues. Um, it's a, it's a blog for development communicators by development communicator. So, um, and I want to hear from you guys as well. Like, what do you want to, what do you want to hear about? What are questions that you're asking yourselves? Um, who do you want to hear from? Kind of who are, who are people that are inspiring? So please tweet me. Um, you can also email me um, suggestions and I would love to talk to you. Corinne, I know that you are super busy. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. And I did want to let everyone know some exciting news that Long Story Short is now available on iTunes, the audio version of the show. You can find it by searching for Long Story Short, and you should recognize the branding and logo, hopefully. If you have any questions or other topics that you would like to see on the show, please feel free to leave them in the comments, email us, tweet us, any of that. We are listening. Thanks for joining us this week, and see you next week.